So if you if you were doing the trolley problem, if I was doing a trolley problem for you, I'd want to know, like, on one of the rails is a human. Yeah. And then on the other, like, how many apes do you, like, a, is a chimpanzee, would five chimpanzees be worth a person? This is based off that tweet of the man who said he'd slaughter every ape on Earth for the life of one human, wasn't it? I vaguely remember that. But <laughs> he was a main character for the day. Let's let's put it that way. That is I... an amazing take because it because no one's asking you to do that. But I right now I'm asking you how many how many apes equals a person? <laughs> well, chimpanzees, I think, and this is a searing take straight out of the blast furnace. Yeah. I think they're morally worse than humans. Um, they are quite horrible, aren't they? <laughs> They're absolutely vile. If you look at the way they behave socially, um, because people, uh, you know, I've got this big gripe against the whole humans, the virus thing. Like, you know, we could be pretty rotten, but we're just an animal. Uh, Chimps, I think if they, if they had like, you know, taken our place um, and, and sort of, you know, gotten tool use and agriculture and everything, there probably would have been a nuclear war in about 1600s. It would have been like a really ultra-violent, nihilistic game of civilization. They are, aren't they? They're like if adults had the uh, impulse control of toddlers. Yeah, they're, uh, know, they're just, just bad news. Although I did, I'll see if I can find it, but I read, there was a, a thing I read, an article about where like a troop of chimpanzees, there was some kind of thing where like almost all the males died, so they became matriarchal. Oh, yeah, and- and they just had a lovely time. Like bonobos are really good, apart from the whole like incest being a cornerstone of their entire social life thing. <laughs> apart from that, they're, they're they're like they're like the light inversion of chimps. So back to the trolley problem. Then, it, if there was a, a row of, of chimps on one track, you would blast them into tomato juice. Yeah, up to 40 chimps. <laughs> Must die. episode 199 of the electronic wireless show we're getting real close to the the what's the double centenary is it just a centenary every hundred years uh, it's uh, bicentennial man isn't it yeah oh there you go yeah uh, episode 199 of the electronic wireless show rock baby shotguns pc gaming podcast and the only podcast you need in my opinion which is that of Alice Bell, and I'm joined this week only by, let me just check your joke, by Neutral Eagle. Yeah, the secret D&D alignment. Ah, it's, very uh, good. a bird with no opinions. <laughs> uh, because Matthew is uh, 
otherwise engaged today, sadly. But I'm very happy to have uh, you with me, Nate, for this episode as we discuss the kind of most meaningful moral quandaries in games, which was suggested by a listener. We've had a lot of lovely emails in suggesting podcast uh, topics for our bicentennial episode. Um, So thank you very much. Uh, And also a special shout out to Neil, who just emailed uh, saying thank you for the EWS, which is very nice. in particular, he said to you, Nate, that I found my day-to-day conversations include a lot more beasting, grond, and brutes. Thanks to Nate. Oh, Neil, I um, hope um, you have a good day and watch <clears throat> Real Steel with a meal of eels. <laughs> uh, and I have a, a special connection to Neil, as my friend uh, Brony just messaged me out of the blue this week, saying, I'm having a drink with my friend Neil, and he said to tell you, with no context. The Cavern of Lies, which made me laugh a lot. But also, uh, thanks for not listening to the podcast, Brony. Appreciate that. So thank you everyone who's emailed in. Um, I'll read all the suggestions we get out next week and uh, you'll find out which one we pick. If indeed we pick any of yours, maybe we go rogue. Uh, but this episode, the topic was suggested by Thomas Fake Last Name, who emailed in uh, and said, Hey, Nate, Alice, and Matthew. I just wanted to quickly suggest, sorry, no Alabaster Titan or Shargar's Heart Squad wordplay today, the topic of best brackets meaningful moral quandaries. Uh, Publishers, developers of certain game genres often tout story choices as being pivotal as to why their game is revolutionary and that these decisions matter. And he also says that uh, he loves the pod. He gets home from Friday to get stuck in. And it's like Barney Gumble hook it to my veins levels. Thank you very much for that. Hey, oh, thank you. It's like <laughs> not, it's not concerning, but Tom's a, a teacher for uh, quite young kids. So I, I I hope he never accidentally leaves the EWS playing. Or it's maybe okay. do. We, yeah, we don't swear a lot and you know, we only give moral guidance like forty chimps should die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh if if we ever like rate raise the ire of, of like right wing trolls they're gonna have so much ammunition by clipping stuff we've said on this podcast out of context it's we'll true be, we'll be cancelled from directing marvel films in a heartbeat oh, uh, <laughs> well let's make the most of it while uh while the sun's shining before we get the quarteringed or whatever it is now. Um, But before we talk about moral quandaries, let's do a little traditional, how are you, Nate? Yeah, I'm I'm good. I was just uh, saying to to Alice before we started recording, my uh, daughter Tally finishes nursery next week, which I'm quite emotional about. But, uh, you know, generous as ever, they've sent one final gift of a a stomach bug. Uh, So I've been... Been having a poo and a sick, but I'm feeling better today. Uh, the great, gobies yeah. continue to just put on mass. The atmosphere in that tank now is like, you know, the beginning of the original Blade? Yeah. I was going to say, the, like, what what would be the the humanoid equivalent of being a goby in that tank? Well, yeah, it's it's that scene from the start of Blade where the um, the vampire lass lures the bloke into the sort of sketchy... 
uh, nightclub in, I think it's like Russia, where all the vampires are having a rave. And everyone's sort of having fun, but it's it's very tense. And then blood starts pouring out the sprinklers and they all go berserk. And I think the Gobi, the boiler at the moment, which is the hot brine Gobi tank, is, I think, that nightclub, like the moment before the sprinklers go off. Um, and yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. They're coexisting for now. Well, I mean, I I certainly wouldn't like to be a goby in that tank. I'm not a no. very... I'd, I'd be one of the weaklings that got picked off. I'm like, I am very self-aware in that. I know I would not survive in a zombie film or any kind of apocalyptic scenario. I have no survival skills. What I don't want to get all... Uh... Night files, but have you ever heard the the thing about the two variants of axolotls? Um, I didn't. What are the two? Because I know there are sort of like tank bred ones that are the kind of pink pet fun ones, and then the natural axolotl is like a potato. Well, so when they're all larvae, they're like little um, tadpoles with but with the same feathery gills. It's very sweet, and there are like. Most of the larvae have sort of like narrow heads generally and, you know, quite sort of peaceable. But a few, like a gene switches on for them and their heads get really wide so that they can eat the other ones. <laughs> and it's like, so, because quite often ambistomids, which is the family of salamanders axolotls are in, will lay their eggs in like, sort of fast drying summer ponds and things and so if the water level is clearly getting low this gene switches on because it's like okay you know we're not going to all metamorphose before this dries up so a few of you go turbo we need to do a thunderdome and only the strong survive kind of thing yeah and it's really it's really particularly sad with axolotls because of course they no longer metamorphose and they you know just like grow up in big lakes, so it's needless, but the cannibalism continues. It always strikes me as really silly, because like the whole alpha males thing has been disproved in wolves. But like like the, the, the sort of Instagram alpha male guys still have the biological metaphor they want. Just yeah. axolotls. <laughs> like, are you a wide-head axolotl? Have you got what it takes? <laughs> Do you have a big car? Do you eat your smaller siblings? But... Yeah, but none of them are going to write like a book that's called like Axolotl Mindset. <laughs> well, may- maybe maybe they should. <laughs> maybe you should pitch to your agent that you write like a kind of parody. Jordan, Jamie, I want to redefine masculinity. Jordan, Pete, like in- instead of lobsters, do like axolotls. <laughs> <laughs> it's a departure. And like, you know, we can take a cue from bonobos. <laughs> <laughs> but we probably shouldn't. <laughs> oh dear! It's actually quite I... a good book idea. Yeah, there you go. I'm an ideas woman, you see. I throw them out. <laughs> I throw them out, but I never pin them down. Um, How have you uh, been? What's going on for you? Yeah, have I been up to much? Not really. I ask myself. Going on holiday soon. Need to get some kind of summery clothes. I'm like one of those goths in hot weather at the moment because most of my jeans are black. Uh, it's still quite hot here, so I'm just stomping around town looking like a fool <laughs> who's about to get heat stroke. Um, Where are you going to go on holiday? 
Tenerife, absolute classic. Haven't been abroad for a while holiday. Can you um, beat it? Yeah, splashed out as well because obviously we haven't been anywhere for like four years at this point. So so basically any money we would have spent on a holiday we have rolled over and splashed out on an all-inclusive because I've never done one before as an adult when I could get properly tanked. I did one once when I was like nine, but I've not done one where you can, you can just wake up and like start the day with a pina colada. <laughs> yeah, I remember the... um. The cruise we got invited on, that was my first all-inclusive. And I just basically became like a spectre at the buffet. (laughs) It was so good. I would just sort of, because the swimming pool was quite nearby. So I I, I guess I was sort of role-playing a crocodile, really, sort of just lying motionless and mostly (laughs) submerged until detecting food, at which point I'd just lumber in and just like, you know, (laughs) eat prawns in my hands. God, it was heaven. Like Like a very benevolent Banquo's ghost who turns <laughs> up at the feast and is like, I'm just here for the seafood. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost at the feast who just loves feasts. <laughs> hey, don't let this be awkward, guys. It's cool. I just love feasts, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where are you going? Oh, well, all the more for me. <laughs> uh, new pitch book idea. <laughs> A rewrite of Shakespeare's classic. We're just chill ghosts. <laughs> oh man! Did you know I thought for years that there was a character, a minor character in a Shakespeare play called Grusomio? Well, I just invented him uh, at some point for a stupid joke, but somehow, like, I'd obviously done the bit once and forgotten about it. And you I told just the thought, lie so long that. <laughs> I, I thought it was truth. I thought there was a guy called Grusomio. Now I wish every Shakespeare play did have a guy called Grusomio who never has any lines, but he's just like at the back of the stage, like scarfing kidneys out of a bucket or something else. Gruesome. <laughs> I think it really add to the ambience. It sounds like a horror clown in like a, a C kind of slasher movie starring Nicolas Cage. Although Nick's on his renaissance now, isn't he? Is he? Yeah, I never didn't... quite know what I'm. I'm meant to sincerely think of Nicolas Cage. Well, he did. He did Pig, which is about a a guy whose truffle pig is stolen and he wants to get his pig back. And then he's done one called I haven't seen it yet, but apparently it's really good called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, where he plays Nicolas Cage, and it's apparently really, really good. Nicolas Cage is in an Oscar-winning film, you know. Like Nicolas Cage is not a bad actor. There is just a huge spectrum of Cage performance. <laughs> I find him really likable. Me too. Like, I'd really like to hang out with him. I've yeah. expressed this opinion before, and people are, oh, he'd be really intense, and he's probably not a very nice man. But I think, like, so long as you were sincere, I, I, think, I think he would be great. I think he's a nice man. We've mentioned Nicolas Cage a lot. He's almost friend of the show status. He agreed to turn on the Christmas lights in Bath. He wouldn't do that if he was, like, a horrible Hollywood, you know... You don't turn, do a regional UK Christmas light <laughs> thing if you're, yeah, no, if that's you're that horrible. With, what is it, though, with like likeable American celebrities taking weird stakes in, in like crap British culture? Because <laughs> you've got like um, old, um, the very sexy man, Deadpool, uh, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah. Has a, a football team, doesn't he? He, yeah, they, he and um, one of the guys from, He's always sending Philadelphia bought Wrexham Football Club. And 
everyone really likes them, apparently, like all the fans. Yeah, what, the yeah. Always Sunny people seem like nice people as well. Yeah, I think you can tell when someone is sort of disingenuously performing being nice because they've been media trained to. Like Chris Pratt, whose public image seems to be entirely run by committee. Oh, yeah. It was very ironic that he played a Lego man. Yes. Because he's quite a lot like one. Yeah. A bit more uh, homophobic. Um, I was trying to... It's hard to segue from Chris Pratt to anything. Uh, well, let's... Uh, moral quandaries, right? Yeah. Um, oh, this is... A, Oh wow! I'm doing my first first real segue. So okay, um, I believe in you. So the stabilizers are off. When he was given the role of Mario in the upcoming Mario film, uh, Chris Pat Chris Pratt presumably had quite the moral quandary over whether to do a silly Italian accent for it, um, and lots of people talked about whether that was racist. Uh, presumably, he just went for it anyway. But that was a moral quandary. Also in Jurassic World, where they tried to turn the dinosaurs into soldiers and he wouldn't have it. <laughs> hey, listen, it's early days. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I would say you should, you should plump for one moral quandary, uh, uh, one segue topic, for the, okay. uh, rather than like bifurcating there. Uh, also, he's it's not doing, I, I'm pretty sure he's not doing a comedy Italian accent. Oh, really? Yeah. It, oh, he's, I stand like, happily corrected. I'm pretty, I, I, like nobody knows what it's going to be. I think it's just going to be him being like, "Hey, I'm Mario," you know. <laughs> so, like, there were loads of jokes about how he he's going to be like, "It's me, Mario." Oh, your Chris Pratt voice is actually worryingly good. I'm just saying Mario like an American. <laughs> that's that's it, isn't it? So yeah, thank you, uh, Thomas, fake last name, for sending in this uh, topic. And I, I thought it was a good one to talk about with Nate, because you are a fan of the, the Dark Bargain. However, when I started thinking about it, it's quite hard to think of... I'm thumping my own chest like Matthew McConaughey. In, <laughs> in, I don't know why, uh, to punctuate my own speech. But it's quite hard to think of a game where it, it genuinely feels like a meaningful choice. I think a lot of them, and Thomas alludes to this in his email, I think a lot of them do, you can see the man behind the curtain, you know. You, it's like seeing the Matrix, you can see all the, the green numbers behind, behind oh, the decision. This is the thing, so I had a long think about this and I... I in service of what I always do on this podcast, which is try to twist the question to be about the games I play. Um, How can this be about Age of Empires? Well, not about Age <laughs> of Empires, but the, the example I've brought to the table today, I do actually want to, to have a, a bit of a deep dive on, because I was really thinking about it. Um, it's uh, RimWorld, uh, because I, I was thinking about... I, th- I can remember, forget what topic we were talking about before, mm-hmm. uh, but I think this dichotomy has come up a couple of times where examples of a thing happening in a game can either be like scripted or prompted, or they can be emergent. Um, and I was actually playing a bit of RimWorld yesterday and when the thought came to me, uh, because for those who don't know, it's 
top-down uh, so-called colony simulator. So it's like a city builder, but very granular. Uh, and it really goes hard on simulating the personalities and lives of the, the people living in your settlement, and they can interact in, in unexpected ways. It owes a lot to uh, arguably best game of all time, Dwarf Fortress. Um, but I had a, a settlement that was, uh, they were like herding a lot of animals um, in a big pasture, and my, my sort of person who was really good with animals started taming bears. And then the bears started right. breeding. <laughs> and until, and it was really good because I was sort of saving on <clears throat> guns and things because every time enemies showed up, I would just have this guy stand unimposingly outside of the fortress and then just release the bear swarm. Release the bear. Yeah. yeah, so bear swarm was a lot of fun. But the problem was as bear swarm got bigger... Because they didn't only have to eat food, but... Did you start tra- feeding people to the bears? Well, this was the thing, because the trainer needed lots of meat to train them as well. And there was one winter when we were really short on food. It was quite dicey. And then there was a big raid, and I did what I usually do and queued up a load of unmarked graves to, to bury the raiders' bodies in. And then I thought, but then I could use their meat and mix it with all that hay we've got to make kibble for the bears. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's what we did. Um, and But then things got more complicated because we got even hungrier. So I was like, well, what if I started mixing the human meat into the pemmican um, that people are using when going on expeditions? That would be fine. And the reason I thought that would be fine was because half of the colony belonged to a religion which venerated cannibalism. So oh, they'll quite like that. The only problem is the other half found it completely abhorrent. Uh, and unfortunately, all of my most skilled professionals were in the half who thought it was cool. So I went ahead with it. But it was interesting because <laughs> I had a good thing. So it's like, huh, we've got like two faiths sharing this settlement and I've got to make a decision as to whether, you know, whether we're going to do this thing. And I, I thought about it much more than you might expect to and actually imagined what it would be like and the sort of conversations that would happen. And it was it was a bit magic, really. So, that, yeah, I think that was a real moral quandary. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take your bears and cannibalism. Uh, I See, I don't, I don't think as deeply about things, I don't think, because I'm very, like, I, I'm just like, well, it's not real, so it doesn't really. <laughs> doesn't really matter in terms of like what I make these little people do. And in RPGs, especially Bioware ones, where what you do is sort of like giving a a treat to to the rats that are the NPCs around you, and they'll be like dis- they'll be disapproving or approving of stuff. I will do stuff that that the NPCs just like the most. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I, I'm a massive people pleaser in RPGs. Yeah. Um, so I, like, I, I don't know, but cause Rimworld seems like one of those things that's way too complicated for me to kind of get into, you know, so I've, ne- it, I've never had to. It's actually quite quick to, um, to get, get the hang of, like if you want to sort of basically the complexities of it, it becomes a logistics game because it's all about you know, getting efficient food production and stuff like that. So you can, you know, 
essentially you you lose the game when interrelated problems are stacking up faster than you can deal with them. And if yeah, you sort yeah. out things like, you know, yeah, like efficient food and, and power and things like that, that curbs the number of problems that can crop up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the basics of it are quite, quite easy to get. What, what about um, Frostpunk? Because that's another one that I haven't played. Because like, I love the concept of it, but I know that I would be bad at it. Oh, Frostpunk so- is completely self-explanatory in terms of, like, in terms of being a city builder. It's not actually that that complex at all. Um, but I mean, in terms of like the moral quandaries in it, does it do they feel meaningful, or because you're sort of slightly removed from it, is it just like the calculus of orphans to food necessity kind of thing? Well, again, it's because I think it really does it does immerse you. Like it, I think I said a few weeks ago, one of the the really interesting things about Frostpunk from the design perspective is that it sacrifices replayability for immersion. So rather than make it so anything can happen, it makes it so that a reasonable branching tree of things can happen, um, but they'll all be really, really intense. Uh, and that's unusual because games like that usually just go for prioritizing sort of a, a sandbox, slightly different every time approach. Uh, and I think because because it does go for sort of quality over quantity, I guess you could say, um, mm. yeah, it, it feels so much more, the pressure feels more real. Um, what are some of the worst slash best decisions you have to make in, in Frostpunk? Because you're like a, a, like a city in kind of a frozen waste aren't you and there's a terrible storm coming so you have to keep the boiler the engine at the the center of the town fed i'm correct right yeah and it's so it's it's basically like um it seems to be like a snowball earth scenario um where you know like in the day after tomorrow like like that basically everywhere's gone mega cold um and so that for me, is at the heart of, of some of the really tough decisions because you are increasingly sure you're the literally the only place left and everywhere else is busted. And so you get things like just bunches of survivors showing up and there's only a few hundred of you in the city. You're like, oh, no, this like if I let those people in, that will probably increase the gene pool of the human race by 20%. But I yeah. literally know we don't have enough food for them, uh, so things are going to get rough. And it, yeah, especially like choosing whether to shelter people, because uh, you quite often the only rational thing to do is not to do that. Uh, but it, it it makes that very difficult to do because it tells the story so well and makes you feel, yeah, real sort of last bastion energy. Um, as, as Matthew might say. So yeah, that's that's a tricky one. The decisions yeah. like, you know, shall we bulk the rations out with sawdust or shall we make children work are, are a lot easier because, well, the children, for example, never sort of, you never have a weeping orphan saying, oh, my legs turned to dust because you worked me so hard. Yeah. So it's sort of easier to out of sight, out of mind it. Yeah. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah, I I wish I was the sort of person that would like playing that. 
I just really I like games like that should exist. I just don't want to don't want to. What is it, it that sort of turns you off about it? I just have the patience for it. I think my my mind just pinballs off things quite quickly if I don't kind of get. And I like I'm also not very good at games where sort of failure is sort of part of the intended process of the game. So I'm not great at grand strategy games because it is very like you should learn by trying things and seeing what happens. And I'm I'm very much like, but I want to do the thing that's right and that I do, <laughs> um, you know no, that's it's a good enough. decision. <laughs> um, um, so what about did you play many of the uh, like Telltale esque games where it's like you know it has a lot of QTEs, but the QTE is what decision you're going to make, you know. Yeah, I played um, the original, I think it was the original Walking Dead one with, with old Clementine remembering that. And then mm. I played the Jurassic Park one as well. What do you think fun. of them? Um, I think, I mean, I've got a more limited experience of that sort of game. But, so I, I might just be being naive here, uh, but I found it a lot harder than I thought it would be to anticipate like whether I'm going to be punished for something later down the line or what the consequence mm. is going to be. Because I often find, I guess, my preconception of those sort of very, very involved role-playing games uh, is that it's, you know, it's all too easy to work out what you're meant to do or what you're going to get the most enticing gameplay rewards for doing. And so I just always do them. Yeah. Um, but I found it quite exciting in those games, not 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 to know, yeah, it's yeah, like whether I was setting myself up for a monstering. It is it is quite good that like you know in the Telltale games, you could you know choose to do something, and then just a zombie would just appear and eat them. So it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think that uh, that again is seeing the Matrix because it's sort of like what well, doesn't matter which fork in the road you take because eventually they both loop round to the same zombie attack kind of thing um and that's the game sort of realigning itself so it can move you on to the next moral choice but well, yeah, uh, because if if you know you don't want a game to take literally forever to write and then yes. to develop <laughs> you need to bottleneck so you know all branching narrative is to some extent either you know, illusory or limited, uh, because you, you, there's yeah only so many possible worlds a game can can simulate, right? Yeah, it's true. Um, one of the that format that I think did do it's not really a choice, but in in Life is Strange, in the first one, you're a teenage girl, and your your job, your job, your power is you can rewind time. Um, and so you get used to like if you pick a dialogue option and you don't like what the person says in response you can rewind time and do it again uh, and the first time there's a, a really upset girl who's you know on the roof of a building yeah. and it takes that power away from you oh um, like for the first time because you're like you know you, you're doing a sort of like 11 in Stranger Things nosebleed and you can't work that power so it becomes a really really tense moment and you just have to kind of 
try and remember stuff that she said to you before and and so it it has a lot of tension because of the context that the game set in and i think that that's it's brilliant yeah so it's i really like it when games whip away a safety net like that mm. so it's not really a moral quandary in as much as it is like you only get one chance to not screw this up kind of thing but um it's more that it's like a quandary where you didn't think it was going to be something. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, Quandaries. <laughs> it's a weird word, isn't it? I was just about to say a good word. Dilemma. Yeah. I wonder what the etymological root of quandary is. Well, quan, what's quando in Latin? It's like, is it what? or? I don't know. Maybe don't it's me. what to do. I'm doing, I'm still learning French on Duolingo and it started like teaching me how to say like I'm taller than you and I'm smaller than you and it one of the names it uses as like a just example like you know saying John Smith is Alice uh, oh, and so I'm having your own to, adventure well I haven't learned to say Alice is not as funny as she used to be and stuff like that. brutal I know yeah self negging <laughs> just like Axel Ottles do yeah I've uh, I've been learning. Uh, Middle Egyptian hieroglyphs. I just Why? started. <laughs> just like I just can't stop thinking about ancient Egypt. Um, it, it started as research for my Necron books, but it just never went away. Um, and I saw this lecture course, um, which was learn Middle Egyptian hieroglyphs online lectures, and thought, you know what, let's do it. So uh, yeah, I'm not very far yet, but maybe I'll. Maybe I'll do a night files on it at some point. Is it just learning to sort of read and write? Because pre- presumably, do we know how they were spoken or not? Uh, we've we've got some good guesses as to how they were spoken spoken, but languages don't get much more dead. Um, so yeah. the, certainly, the the course I'm I'm on is 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 very intent on on not even like going into pronunciation or anything. Um, but you know, you you can get an idea of it because you know what sort of vowels things are attached to and stuff. Um, so yeah, you could you could have a stab, um, but I yeah I I no idea how much people actually know about the pronunciation and and stuff. All I can imagine is that sort of during the Ptolemaic period, where the, the sort of Greeks and Romans got mixed in with it, uh, which is you know where you get the Rosetta Stone from and stuff. Um, I imagine that's probably where where we know most about pronunciation, at which point, like, you know, we're talking thousands of years down the line for for ancient Egyptian civilization, so it might all have changed massively anyway. God, stuff is old, isn't it? Well old, yeah. Well old. Um, Join us next week. (laughs) Speaking of moral quandaries, the British Museum. Um, uh, <laughs> moving swiftly on from that no um, the, speaking of a moral quandary that feels more formulaic as well I really liked The Outer Worlds which it, like when I first started playing it which is the kind of space cowboy alternate future um, RPG that that's we're... not the one where the universe bursts every few minutes. No, that's Outer Wilds. 
uh, The Outer Worlds is yeah like a first person RPG. Um, it's I can't remember the name of the developer. Um, but it's like a a classic kind of style. You know, you build your character and then you give your character like a an origin that affects their stats and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's really like really stylish and and when it started in the first few hours i was like this is well good because you have loads of different things like you have to collect like a bounty from a dentist and there are a few different ways you could do it you could go and like dig up a body in the graveyard and steal the teeth and all this kind of stuff um but after a while basically each planet you go to because it's a an alternate future where capitalism was never sort of kneecapped at any point so it's very like mega corps and you know corporations are basically the governments of these planets and stuff um and each planet you go to you basically have to resolve what's happening on the planet either by siding with the corporation siding with the locals or kind of finding the third middle path um which will be like that option yeah exactly yeah um so it's and and you kind of spot that after your first like you do your first one which i think is like the town uh has a generator and the enclave of hippies needs a generator and only one of them can have the new generator battery or whatever but there's like a third way where you know they can cooperate together or whatever because if you turn the town generator off everyone there will die or so i don't know feeling you get with like which owl used in films are you and it swiftly becomes obvious that answer c is always going to lead to billy the barn owl yeah exactly yeah Yeah. and and you yeah and on on the second the second planet you go to i I was like well this is just that again isn't it you know (laughs) yeah does that like from a political perspective is that like um, tricky as well because like I don't think you even have to be that left wing to just probably not want to side with the megacorps yeah I think it's not really trying to make any kind of political statement about anything really you know like not intentionally so it's not you know making any clever points about centrism or anything like that It, but it, it does you know sometimes it will try and throw in that, like, the, well, the corporation people are nice, and the you know the outlaws are not. But like, you know, morally, maybe it's better to side with the outlaws or whatever. You know, like, the leader of the outlaws betrayed the old leader of the outlaws and had him killed and whatever. You know, but he's a charming Nazi. Yeah, that that old chestnut. <laughs> yeah, like, still fine, but it it felt. Like a lot about the rest of the game, I really like it. It's a really cool setting, a really cool idea, and they're doing a second one, which I'm really excited for. Um, but just those, it's just like, yeah, option A, option B, option C, very similar on on all of the planets. And I was just like, just mix it up a bit. It doesn't have to be that. Have you, you ever go... um, played a game where you felt that like, or been in a situation in a game where you genuinely it seemed like every option was a bad one. Like, where you think, oh, I can't mm. actually see the nice, like the good... Because that's that, you know, lots of games put you in positions where, like, there are, you know, different benefits to be incurred from a situation. 
And yeah, lots put you in the position of trying to guess which will lead to benefit, but like just straight up having to choose between, you know, having hot dogs for fingers and burgers for palms level. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I suppose um, the Bioware games to try and do that because there are a few of them where it will be like someone has to be left behind to, you know, detonate the bomb and then that character is dead kind of thing. Um but a lot of the time it will be choosing between a, f- a fine cardboard cutout bland person or like an evil racist or whatever, you know? Um, Banner Saga does really well, actually, at, at oh, lose-lose situations. Yeah. I love Banner Saga. Um, it's, it's a good one for me because it's got a nice... Um, turn-based tactical mode embedded in it and it's also um, the role-playing is all brilliantly embedded within a like a caravan management game basically but the management is very much in the style of you know a binary or you know trinary decision has popped up what are you going to do this will affect your stores of various things rather than actually having to do like hardcore management so it's yeah it's really good, and because the the game world is just so bleak, um, kind of imagine like the road by way of the prose edda, um, and with giants, and yeah, it's just everything's always getting worse, and you've just got to kind of slow the descent with your decisions. And there is real hope in it and stuff. It's not complete bleak out. Uh, but you are pretty much always choosing between the lesser of two evils in that, and I think it does it masterfully. That I get, like, it feels sort of too doomed for me. I know, like, everyone says it's really, really good, and I accept that. But I don't oh, know. I, I can't do really bleak stuff. I'm very, very soft. Um, that's <laughs> that's the thing about Banner Saga. It it manages to avoid that totally. It's cool. Okay. So this, oh. this week is just me selling games to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, what else you got? Because <laughs> I'm deliberately not. I'm not gonna sell all my Bioware games to you. Because also, I don't. I don't know if any of the choices like they're fun, but they're not particularly meaningful. I don't think. Really. They're all like you know. Do you want to? Like they're either do you want to kick this dog or pet the dog kind of sort of moral yeah, <laughs> morality. Like, or, I can never remember in Kotor having having a serious moment of trying to work out if I'd be the baddie for doing something. Or or it's just like this is a personal preference choice and it doesn't really, you know, say anything about you. It's just which suit of armor do you like the look of better kind of thing. Um, Having said that, obviously, I do love them. What about the Um, old um, Elder Scrolls games? Do you ever, what do you think of the decision making in them? See, I don't know, because the Elder Scrolls games is a lot better at like never actually, because like in Knights of the Old Republic, it will give you points about towards how evil or good you're being like it it literally gives you a little marker doesn't it um whereas in skyrim it's just like you can make this decision and stuff will happen um 
So I don't know, really. I suppose the big one in like Skyrim is to side with the Stormcloaks, who are, you know, the Empire is a sort of invading colonial force, but the Stormcloaks who are fighting back are, are like nationalists and, and kind of horrible. So, But then the classic thing to do in that is just forget about the whole thing and just go just off. go on, on your dragon adventure. giants yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if they feel particularly meaningful either. Again, like with RPGs, I find it a lot easier to just view it as like a, a spreadsheet of, you know, will people like me? Like so, I, I, my RPG characters are all things to all men, basically. Just blank slates. Yeah, so, what Bioware should bring out a game where like, if you make too many conflicting decisions privately to different characters that at one point they'll be like, we've been talking and, uh, <laughs> you know, where do you actually stand? What's yeah. your deal, mate? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Hey, here's an interesting one. The, um, I always liked, um, those pieces you wrote on that game that technically takes like forever to play, but doesn't actually because you're always oh, finding ways to speed it up. The longing, the longing. Was it? yeah, the longing. You're a little, you're a little gremlin, a little. Because I was intrigued with how like much you were immersed in in that character and sort of, well, not got inside the head, but you were really sort of, you know, thinking about how things were for them. Yeah, um, I really. I'd be interested to... to see what quandaries you you encountered there. The shade, because. That's their name, and they're just a little sort of black, sort of soot, sooty kind of um, little gremlin, little goblin that lives underground. And the un- the king under the mountain is like, I'm going to sleep um, for a year, and you have to look after me. And you can just wait for a year, but you are, you know, you you explore, and you can make the shades little hole nicer. You can light a fire. Um, by mining coal and and you can change the color of the fire and you can find paper and you can make drawings and stuff and if you hang those up then it makes basically the nicer you make your little room the faster time goes when you're in your room because otherwise it will just take 365 real-time days um i remember having you you having some sort of pangs of guilt uh for the situations you found you'd left him in when you logged back in yeah sometimes you've just been like asleep on a rock in in particular like i was really invested in because basically you're the the choice that you are presented with is either you stay underground and um you then you know the king wakes up and does whatever the king does or you escape um because if you manage to make it all the way to the top of the the place then you can find a well and uh, you can sort of break through into the well and then you can maybe make your way out depending on, you know, um, what sort of time, the timing and stuff. Um, and you need to wait for the the bucket, the well bucket to come down and then jump in it. And it only comes down like once or twice a day and you have to wait for the right person to to be fetching the water and stuff so um uh i had to instead of letting him wait in his little hole 
his little room that was all nice and had a fire and an armchair and like a stuffed horse's head and stuff that I'd found and you know books from the old library um it I had to put let the shade wait like in like a pool of water for, for days basically like sitting down and sleeping just in in the bottom of a grimy almost dry well and I felt real bad but it was freedom though yeah exactly yeah and but and if you escape then the king sort of dies and the whole under the mountain bit collapses and stuff but it doesn't feel it feels like the right thing to do to get the shade out you know but do, it's you, really do you know good. how many people who've played it through and, and, and sort of been loyal? I do, I've not spoken to anyone else who's... I think I've spoken to one other person who's played it. Um, I've read comments and stuff as well. There's loads of secret things you can find. But it's very... Like, it is... A, it, you have to wait for stuff to happen. Like, there's a... Areas are impassable um, for days. Like, you have to wait for, like, an amount of moss to grow on a stone so that it cushions you if you jump on it kind of thing. Um, and stuff like that and you have to wait for a spider to build a spider web it's really like it's, it's yeah it's really about waiting yeah there's a lot of patience involved in that that would be beyond me I think yeah but yeah but uh, yeah put your put the articles in the show notes because they are as good as playing it thanks Maybe. appreciate that and of course the shade lives in a a huge cavern, but let us now go to our own cavern. <laughs> you faint. Because <laughs> uh, it's time to enter the Cavern of Lies. Are you ready with your mug? Yeah, would you do the creak? <clears throat> the Cavern of Lies, Lies. So because we don't have Matthew this week, I thought I would actually do something a little different. So bear with me while I retrieve my pre-prepared document so you have not played dragon age that i bang on about all the time have you uh no no the day the day i do um, <laughs> i'll be very excited but no not yet no, not don't yet. lie that's not true <laughs> um so one of the things that the dragon age and like most bioware games do is that it sort of rolls over um from your choices from the first game were all over into the second and third and it's a kind of selling point that maybe hamstrings the developers and writers sometimes I don't know because they're left with the legacy of like what came before um so I thought I'd do for you a kind of no context personality test where I offer you some of the the biggest choices you have to make in Dragon Age Inquisition the third one and we'll see what kind of person you are and what position you might be in for the fourth game, which is in oh, development. Oh, this is exciting. I like this. Okay. This is like the which, which uh, film extra owl are you, but... <laughs> so, first of all, we'll very quickly uh, decide who your Inquisitor is going to be. So you can choose to be a dwarf, an elf, a human, or a canary, who are the big sort of cow people um how much are they like the tauren from world of warcraft they're quite like the tauren but they are like um sort of also quite like drax from guardians of the galaxy they're very serious most of them 
What's the nearest thing to being an orc? Oh, probably a canary, but then, mm, yeah, probably a canary. But you, are you I'm know, even... one of those dudes. They sound pretty cool. Okay. Uh, and then are you going to be a rogue, a fighter, or a mage? Those are your only class choices. Um, I think a mage. Let's be a mage. Interesting. That's quite a bold choice for a canary. I can't even remember if you're allowed to be a mage for a canary. Uh, in fact, I think you're not because they kill most magic users. Oh, okay then. In which case, I'll be a dwarven mage. Okay. Okay. Really, really up for some magic. That might not be allowed either. I can't remember. But we'll say dwarf mage is fine. Um, okay. And so your first choice, which is the big choice in basically all the games, is whether you're going to side with the mages or the Templars. Uh, being a mage is a, a seen as a very dangerous thing in the Dragon Age world because you could become possessed by a demon uh, and then go go ape. Um, so mages are kept in mage towers. They're called the Circle Towers, and they're not allowed to leave uh, except under sort of supervision. And oh, so are... it's like psychers in 40k. Oh, yeah, I know this territory. Yeah. All right, okay. And then Templars are the guards of the mages, and they're usually very anti-mage, and they're quite hardline and, and boring. Uh, <laughs> you can tell You can tell who I... So, so you're basically like freedom, but at what cost, and authoritarianism. I'm... Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to choose based on my actual morals. Well, the other thing to consider is that whichever one you side with in Dragon Age Inquisition will join your army, and then the one that you don't side with will join the army of the big bad who's trying to destroy the world. Yeah, the 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 uh, I'm going to go with the authoritarians. I'm afraid. Yeah, okay, that's a see side with the Templars. That's an interesting one. Best to have them on our side. Yeah, fair. <laughs> okay. Um, another big one is uh, who you're going to choose to rule Orlay. Now, Orlay is comedy France, basically, in this game. Uh, all the Orlesians talk like that, and um, uh, basically, like the cast of Hello, Hello. And uh, they are very kind of. Uh, they they wear masks and they dress very fancy and they like parties and balls and stuff. Um, and who you choose to be the ruler could have consequences beyond the war, but the war is a very pressing concern right now. So you could either choose uh, Gaspard for the throne, who is the war boy. He's a, he's a wartime president, if you will. Uh, but then, you know, could he be aggressive towards you once the common enemy is destroyed? Uh, Celine is uh, a kind of arts. She's the current, uh, you know, ruler of Orlais. She's very arts and culture. She's not that helpful <laughs> with the war stuff, really. Um, but she will be easier to deal with. And then you have the kind of rogue choice, the, the third choice, is Briala, who is an elf servant who used to be Celine's lover. Um, and if you help her, you'd really be, if you put her on the throne, you'd really be shaking things up a little bit in, in Orlais. Uh, How desperate is this war looking? 
it's pretty pretty bad. There's a big hole. The, the, there are holes in the sky and in reality that are letting demons and monsters through, um, and uh, all over the the world, and your allies are scattered. So, getting all A on side is one of your big tasks, basically. Is there hope without Orlay, or is it really we got to get these guys? Well, you're gonna you're gonna get them anyway. It basically, it, you're just choosing who's going to be on on the throne. Okay, I, I'm actually going to go for the arts and crafts, lass. Celine, because uh, you know I don't. I think when you, because if I've learned anything from Warhammer Forty Thousand, it's that. Uh, you know, if you suspend the arts in favour of beefy boys just until the crisis has passed, the crisis lasts 10,000 years and then everyone's <laughs> a beefy boy. So, uh, yeah, no, let's, let's keep the arts alive. All righty. Uh, then we've got the, the Grey Wardens. They are who you played as in the first game. They are an order of sort of noble knights who drink uh, demon blood that will eventually poison them but does give them extra demon fighting powers. Now, the problem in Inquisition is that the Order of the Grey Wardens in the South has um, its paranoia has been twisted against it and it has been sort of infiltrated by a demon who has convinced them to sacrifice themselves to more demons in order to stop demons. So they're kind of, uh, they're in a bit of a pickle and they've basically been making things a lot worse in the area. Now, are you going to exile them because they've screwed things up and they're kind of now too dangerous? Maybe they could screw stuff up again. Or are you going to ally with them and try and rebuild them as an order over time? Do they realise what they've done with the whole uh, tricked by a demon business? Well, they do in the end because you turn up and kill a lot of them. Oh, um... I'm going to ally with them because it's like, uh, again, borrowing from other universes, the orcs in Warcraft, actually good lads, just That's got very true, yeah. sold a bad business. Yep. They got sold the NFT of demons. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's, that works. <laughs> um, and then finally, this isn't a major one, but uh, it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, one of your advisors who um, is the military advisor. So you have a spy master, a kind of soft power uh, diplomat, and then you have your general. Um, they don't come on missions with you, but they sort of run things. Now, your general is an ex-Templar, and Templars, to control mages, get addicted to magic dust, which gives them enough power to... Uh, perform some simple spells that negate other magic basically so this guy has been snorting magic dust for most of his life and he's now decided he wants to stop however quite an inopportune time for him to start going through withdrawal basically he picked the wrong, wrong day to quit drinking didn't he yeah so uh he's come to you to ask your advice basically should he keep taking his lyrium dust should he stop possibly, you know, going through some some withdrawal symptoms that make him a less effective general? Now nah, get it down, you mate. All right. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, the the extra twist to that is that 
this is the guy, he's a quite a boring character, and this is also the guy voiced by that voice actor that absolutely went off on once. <laughs> oh, he can have all the wizard crack then, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. All right, so let's look at in a, a sort of Cosmo quiz style. Uh, let's look at where you are. You're an interesting mix, actually, of like uh, pragmatic uh, kind of wartime inquisitor choices and, uh, you know, going with your Decency. gut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because most people don't side with the Templars because that's the sort of the meaner choice, you know, people about wizard freedom. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I can... I can see their points. Uh, I, you know, I think that some reform would be a good thing, but you know, we don't want devils everywhere. That's true. <laughs> uh, and then we've, yeah, uh, allying with the Grey Wardens. That's a popular choice as well. So I think most people go with Celine as well. Although I think probably the the more popular choice is Briala the servant, and just like really shaking stuff up. Uh, and then I yeah, was mo- tempted by that. Most people uh, allow Cullen to stop taking Lyrium, and if you don't, the kind of post-credits where are they now thing is that he's just a, a raving homeless guy addict like with who's lost his mind and is just wandering the streets, I think. But if he got the job done, then, uh, you know. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so there you go. Not really a cavern of lies, but how did you enjoy your taster of the world of Dragon Age? I thought that was well fun, actually. Um, it is interesting, actually, because obviously, like, it is its own original thing. But I, I, I genuinely kept thinking about like other settings. I know lots about like forty k or Warcraft to make my decisions. <laughs> I think it. You know, there's only what's that? There's only seven stories in the world, or whatever, and probably fantasy things are pulling from a similar well. You know. Yeah, that's what I like about them. Um, maybe Dragon Age 4 will be like 10,000 years in the future and they'll have you know big big mech suits (laughs) now we are talking alright thank you very much for that indulgent cavern of lies Nate and for joining me this week to talk about our favourite and most meaningful moral quandaries in games an interesting discussion and as following the pattern as Matthew is away we talked a lot about games <laughs> yeah we actually managed to get through quite a few there so well done us uh, all that remains now is uh, recommendations because every week we recommend something that is not a video game uh, I will go first I can do two today to make up for Matthew not having a wreck this week do you think that, should I do that yeah yeah I'll do that dive for the cake uh, so first of all, I'm going to recommend a short story collection called Famished by Anna Vaught. It is a, uh, it's like a hundred pages and some of the stories in there are like two pages long. It's really good. It's kind of horror, um, creepy, like a bit um, uh, like dark, funny, um, a really great collection. It's kind of all to do with food. Uh, there's one in particular in there that if you have issues around food, uh, that's probably a, a content warning. But uh, if you like horror and if you like creepy stuff and um, and you like short books to get you out of a slump, then Famished is really good. Uh, and the other thing I'm going to recommend 
is Peacemaker, which is the uh, DC TV show tie-in to um, the second Suicide Squad film starring John Cena. Uh, they does... did a movie spin-off. I love John Cena. Yeah, yeah, he's really good in it. Now, it's, there's a caveat because I've only watched the first episode and last time when I recommended Loki and I'd only watched like, the first couple of episodes, I was like, it's really good. And then it became rubbish. So I've only watched the first episode, but the first episode is very good. Um, and if you don't watch anything else, you've probably heard the title, like the opening credits are really good. They are. I will link them in the show notes. You would love the opening credits, Nate. Uh, watch this for real. What? What? How do I see it? Just go on YouTube and put in Peacemaker opening credits. Oh, but if I want to watch the television show, what oh. service is it? Uh, I can't remember what, what it's on. It might be HBO. I will I will link to it in the old in the old show notes anyway. Do you um, know one of Tally's first recognizable drawings uh was of John Cena? Interesting. Why was that? <laughs> um I just said, Can you can you draw this man? And she did. Uh, she drew a huge rectangle with two enormous nipples. <laughs> um, and then some like comically small stick arms and a sort of ghost-like face at the top. Uh, and then comically small sort of stick legs with a pair of shorts down at the bottom. Like It's actually an incredibly good uh, impressionist or well, post-impressionist um, conception of a wrestler, actually. Very good stuff. Well, I was going to say John Cena would be quite a good person for a child to draw because he's made of a lot of geometric shapes, isn't he? Big shapes, yeah. Big shapes, <laughs> Big shapes on John Cena. Uh, what are you recommending this week, Nick? Um, ooh, I think... Hang on, I had this. Oh, yeah, compote. Make yourself some compote. Um, so, uh, any any my... fruit in particular you're recommending? Yeah, Buy um, some freeze-dried sour cherries. You can get them in big, like, 200-gram bags. Um, you know, search on the online retailer of your choice. Uh, you'll find some. And then just boil them in a load of water with a little bit of sugar to taste. Um, and that is a drink. That is a real drink. Um, our Ukrainian housemate has been making compote out of various fruits every week. Um, and I've been, I've been in a, 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 a fruity world of wonder. But yeah, the sour cherries have been the standout best one because I love cherries. If you yeah. do too, make some compote. There you go. Uh, thank you very much for joining us this week for episode 199 of the Electronic Wireless Show, Rock Paper Shotgun's PC Get Me podcast, and the only podcast you need, in my opinion. Still time to get in your suggestions or letters or postcards or best of all emails. Uh, before our bicentennial show next week, episode 200, just email podcast at rockpapershotgun.com. Thank you to everyone who's emailed in so far. Uh, you can join the Discord where there is a room just for talking about the podcast, but there are also rooms for organizing, playing games with people, having chats, talking about other stuff. And uh, you can also buy merch uh, if you're feeling fancy. You can find Rock Paper Shotgun on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search Rock Paper Shotgun. But for all your PC gaming needs, go to www.rockpapershotgun.com. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.